0: Gil McGregor from NBA Sound System here, and I want to tell you about religion of sports and PRX's latest show, Rough Housing. Hazing has been a part of American life for hundreds of years, and today, in high school sports, it's happening a lot more often than you might think. Journalist Iggy Monda takes listeners inside high school locker rooms to meet people on all sides of the story and try to figure out why kids haze in the first place. Why do any of us do it? And what does it say about us? Listen to Rough Housing on Apple Podcasts now. Welcome into NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here back with my guy, Scott Rafferty. Scott, what's going on? How are you? I'm good,
1: man. It's 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 been an it's been up and down couple weeks. I feel like it's been a while since I've been potting, but we got, as always, plenty to talk about. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Like you said, a lot going on. March Madness is coming to a close on the NCAA side, and that means those of you who may not have been paying attention to the NBA, you'll be surprised to see that there are only... Two weeks, less than two weeks left in the NBA season and uh, NBA's communications team tweeted out the other day that this is the latest in the season that 26 teams are still in the mix for a playoff spot. Some longer shot than others, but I think that just speaks to the parity in the NBA. Uh, I, I mean, it's unprecedented, right? It's it's
1: unbelievable. It honestly feels like every time a team loses, like the standings are just completely different. Like someone right. jumps up into the play and mix, someone jumps out. Um it is really fun. I mean this is also a testament to the plan, right? Uh I know initially there was some kind of I guess hesitancy about implementing this into the NBA schedule, but it does just feel like it's made things much more competitive late in the season cuz rather than, you know, 8 or 9 teams being in the mix, it's I mean it's like 12 in the Western Conference right. right now still kind of hoping to get into the postseason.
0: Yeah, it's funny cuz like the playing I guess it's the third year or the fourth year, third year of the play-in as we know it, I think. Um That sounds right. Yeah, yeah, thir- 2020. Year, yeah, 2020. Yeah, 2020 so was the first. Yeah. So yeah, they had they had the bubble version of it, and then we had like you know the last the last three years that we've seen it, and and it didn't take long to get used to it. And I think it's just interesting to think that like now we are accustomed to. A dozen teams being in the mix because there's so many teams you know that if they were at at 10th right now or 11th or 12th their season would be over they'd be mailing it in and right now we saw you know with the team like the pelicans last year or the grizzlies a few years ago you don't necessarily have to finish in the top eight uh to get a spot in the playoffs i think that uh certainly makes it exciting a lot to get through because there's a lot going on in the league we'll talk more about uh the wild wild west and rank our top five teams uh, in the Western Conference with respect to uh, maybe making a run for it. But before we get to that, we've got to talk about the wild, wild MVP race uh, in the NBA. Scott's shaking his head already. Uh, Last night, we were robbed of a quote-unquote MVP showdown. Third game in four nights for the 76ers. So Joel Embiid uh, did not play with a calf injury. The Sixers took precautionary measures, so we did not see him go head-to-head. With Nikola Jokic, and by most accounts, those guys—it'll be one of those two guys who wins MVP this year. And it feels like over the past few weeks, the narrative has kind of shifted uh, between who is the favorite to win MVP. Embiid seems like he kind of has jumped in front. So what do you? When you take stock of the MVP race where we are right now, with under two weeks left in the season, what do you think about that? top two, is there anybody else that we probably should be mentioning? It feels like Giannis' is third name, but after that, it's kind of wide open. So where where do you stand right now?
1: I was going to ask you, it, are we sure it's one of those two? Like, I, I, I still feel like Giannis could, could win it. Um, look, I, the splitting has here, like, I, I, this is the closest MVP race I feel like in a really long time, Where it's mm-hmm. like, I feel like all three of those have really, really strong arguments. I mean, Jokic is having... He's, I think I've said before, I think we said it like a month ago that I think he's probably the best regular season player in the NBA today. Like what he does offensively, he is, if you look at it, he's having the most efficient season um, among 20 point per game scorers in NBA history, according to true shooting percentage. Like he makes everything he takes. He might be the best pass in the league today. Um, He elevates everyone around him. The knock on him is, is the defensive side, right? Um, he's just not the same caliber of defender, nowhere close as Embiid and Giannis. But when you factor in like, the games that he's played, all the minutes, he leads all these candidates in, the, in that regard. Um, he has a really strong case. Embiid is just having an absolutely dominant season among 30-point-per-game scorers in NBA history. I think only three. there's only been another hmm. three other seasons that are ahead of him in true shooting percentage. Like He's having a record-breaking season himself. He's also a great defender um knock on him compared to the other two candidates is that he's just not the same kind of creator for other players he's improved in that regard over the last few years he's just not the same though and i think Giannis, like the interesting thing about what you said to me is that like you know i I do think he kind of gets talked about as like the third person in this race but really like i think across the board most people would agree he's the best player in the nba today right so if you have the best player in the nba on the best team Putting together arguably his best season. I mean, he's averaging a career high in, boi- in points to go with 11 rebounds, five assists. He's also an incredible defender. Mm-hmm. He's played the least amount of minutes and games out of those candidates, but he also has the best record among all of them when he does play. That's a pretty strong case to me. And I, I don't know. I don't know which. I'm torn every time I think about this because they all have such good cases. But I, I really do think it's. I think it's between. I, I think it's a three man race, not a two man race.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And It sounds like you've been reading our, our, our colleague and coworker Jordan Greer over at the Sporting News. Did a great piece on the arguments for and against it, each of these three MVP candidates. So if you need to make a debate wherever you are in the barbershop or at the coffee shop or wherever it is, you have all the tools. So check that out over at the Sporting News. And that's a good point. Like talking about Giannis, because it kind of felt like an afterthought. And maybe it's because of games played or minutes played. But it feels weird to say it. But. For whatever reason it kind of feels like he's like a stealth candidate right like i don't know yeah. is it do you think it's because you know we just have just come to accept excellence from him not it's not like Jokic has won it back to back years so we accept expect excellence from him as well and and beat it kind of feels like it, it's if it's not this year then when is he going to win it but but maybe is that why you think Giannis is kind of creeping in the shadows and just kind of lurking there as as a favorite because The bar is so high for him that this is just kind of the expectation for what he's supposed to do as the best player in the world.
1: I mean, he's played over 300 less minutes on the season uh, than Jokic and 200 less minutes than Embiid. Like, that stuff matters, right? Like, the MVP has to be available. um, That that, that stuff does matter. So I do think that's a part of it. I also just think, like, (laughs) Giannis basically just plays, like, 30 minutes a game and yeah. the Bucks beat teams by 20 points in that span, and then he doesn't have to play more. Like, he still puts up outrageous numbers on a night to night basis. Like I said, he's averaging 30 points, 11 rebounds, five assists. Um, that's historic company. Only Russell Westbrook, Oscar Robertson, Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, and Kareem Dil-Jabbar have ever averaged 30, 10, and five um, in the regular season. So he- he's, having, he's having a historic season in his own right. Um, but I-, I just, he doesn't have necessarily like the same. Um I guess his his box score doesn't necessarily pop in the same way that Jokic's and Embiid's does on necessarily on a night-to-night basis like Jokic is getting a triple double like every single night, yeah. right? Yeah. Um Embiid is just had a, a streak of 30 point games, 40 point games, whatever it is. So I don't know, I also think there is some like we just kind of just take Giannis for granted at this point. Yeah. But but again, yeah. like best player in the league on the best team having arguably his best season. He hasn't has he hasn't been as efficient of a scorer this season like he, it feels like he sometimes does settle for his jump shot a little bit. I wonder if that's just kind of him working through in the regular season though at some point like he's probably going to have to have that weapon for them to win again maybe. Yep. Um, but he's still pretty much across the board having a career, yeah, and it's a pretty strong case in my opinion.
0: Some, something that you have been sure to point out a lot about Giannis, you mentioned his efficiency, and, and I always thought that was interesting. And one game that comes to mind is they played Brooklyn in Milwaukee much earlier in the year, and yep. he was just kind of like, Toying and, and seeing if the jumper was there, just to see if it was there, and he was off in the first half, and then he's like, "All right, well, that wasn't there tonight. I'm going to be me now." And he finished with 40, and they won. <laughs> and it was just like a reminder of just why he is as special uh, as he is. And, and it's interesting you hear players get polled, like you know, if you could have one player for a game seven, who's the best player in the world or whatever it is, the answer is overwhelmingly Giannis. And I think that's a big reason of why he gets taken for granted. And and I think that you know. The things that we see now, especially like the the, the precaution that they take with, as far as his health, because he's another guy similar to LeBron that we've seen in years past. He's just so big and strong. We don't really know the beating that he takes on a nice night basis because it doesn't affect him as it would somebody who's normal size. Um, so I, I think that there's so many factors. That go into the Giannis thing. One thing I was going to say and interject, you're saying, you know, Jokic is just getting a triple double every night. Giannis is over here, uh, faking layups to get a triple double that eventually gets <laughs> rescinded by the NBA. But I think the. Interesting thing about there's two things about this MVP race. Well, a couple things about this MVP race that stand out so much to me. One is that, like you said, it feels like one of the closest in recent memory between three people, right? Like I think back to close MVP races and there's been a lot, but the one that really stands out to me because I was really close to it, but was Kobe Bryant and Chris Paul in 2008. Um, but the fact that there are three guys here and there've been so many different narratives, but I think the weirdest part about it now, you have these guys kind of talking about it. So I guess what, it, yeah. what has been your thoughts about, Joel and b literally as recent as this week you know has A Q&A with shams talking about you know it, you know i don't want to talk about mvp award it doesn't mean anything to me but let me let me talk about it more like the way that this 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 the narratives have gone with it do you think that will impact the ultimate uh voting and who wins it
1: the it does feel like i, I feel like the mvp the way we talk about the mvp race has changed over the last few years i feel like yeah. it's reached a peak this season like it, it it kind of just feels like we're covering this from almost game one at this point. And <laughs> mm-hmm. it do- it does just change so much throughout the year. Um, and beat's comments were definitely interesting. Uh, I-, I don't think anyone would blame him for wanting to win MVP, whether or not he says it or not. Like, right. I-, I think everyone wants that. And it- I-, I would be bothered too, probably, if I finished runner-up in MVP in back-to-back seasons yeah. and was second-team All-NBA, not even first-team All-NBA. Um, I-, I think I've mentioned it to like you off-air a bunch of times. It is funny to me in like 20 or 30 years, people are going to look at Joel Embiid's like Wikipedia page and see a bunch of like second team All NBA selections and be like, okay, how good was this guy actually? Like, he couldn't even make right. an All NBA first team. And that's kind of the problem with all NBA teams. But that's a conversation for a different day. Um, <laughs> there's just so many ways. I think, especially with like advanced stats as well, like you can just make the case for almost anything nowadays, yep. right? And I think the thing that Embiid said when. Jokic does grade out as, like, one of the best defenders in the league. And I think if you watch the Nuggets, I wouldn't say he's a bad defender, Mm -hmm. but he's definitely a limited defender, and he has weaknesses, and he's just not in the same tier as these guys. So for him to grade so highly in some of these advanced stats, I totally understand why people would, you know, Nuggets fans or people in favor of Jokic would use that as as a, a reason why he deserves MVP, whereas other people would say, you know, this is where we have it all wrong in the MVP race. So... It is really hard to tell and that just makes things so difficult when it's a three man race and it is this close. Cause it's almost just like you can almost just pick your candidate. Like it's so close that you can kind of just pick whoever you like more or think is better. Um, I, I just I think when I like even with a week, week and a half to go in the regular season, not one of them I feel like has has given me like a big reason to like select them. Like as soon as I think I'm I'm talking myself <laughs> into Giannis, I'm like, oh wait, but Embiid's doing this, but oh wait, Jokic right. just did this. Um, yeah. So it, it does really feel like this could go down to. I mean, we got some fun matchups this week. Unfortunately, we didn't get Jokic and Bead on Monday. I was really looking forward to that. Uh, but we have Embiid against Luka, which is a big game, I think, mm-hmm. on Wednesday. Giannis against the Celtics. And then at the end of the week, we have Embiid versus Giannis. So I think, you know, it, it does feel like these games have more weight in them um, in the MVP race than they have in, in really a long time, kind of this late into the season.
0: And that's the thing to 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 think about what you were saying. It it always has kind of felt like the MVP is is a narrative, not necessarily narrative driven award, but narrative. It'd be it'd be like you know obtuse to it to to say that narrative doesn't have a part in it, right? Like you know Russell Westbrook having a triple double the year that Kevin Durant left, winning. You know what I mean? Like winning a triple, like winning winning MVP like that. And I think that that kind of is working against Jokic this year, right? Because the whole narrative of like, you know, we haven't had a back-to-back-to-back MVP in so long and nobody's ever won it without winning a championship in that span when MVP is a regular season award to begin with. So I think all those things kind of factor in. And to your point, like, if we were having this conversation – Three weeks ago, it, it seemed like it was Jokic's award to lose, and and like the the odds, even in in Vegas and stuff, reflected it. I remember I was on here with Kyle a few weeks ago, and he was like, "It just feels like people are trying to come up with reasons to not give it to Jokic, and then people eventually found enough reasons to not do that, and it kind of feels like the race is, is now wide open. You know, you keep an eye on the standings and see where the Bucks are and see where the Nuggets and and and. 76ers are and I think that that is the next question I've asked because you know I just mentioned Russ and even Jokic last year these teams who weren't as successful at the top of the standings and it feels like part of the reason why these guys are at the top one because their teams are just outstanding but I think that it it is important that we talk about some of these guys you know after that top three because they're going to be guys who finish fourth and fifth in MVP voting but it kind of feels like if if it's not jason tatum who's on you know second best team in the league or team with the second best record in the league there are other guys who have really brought their team to new heights so their team would not be anywhere without them defining the valuable part of most valuable player one guy i'm thinking about is shea gilless alexander in the okc thunder um what is your take on, on as far as that goes do you think that at this point we will even see like a a narrative mvp again for a, a team who maybe finishes sixth or fifth in the standings or, or from now on are we just going to see like that that happen to the best player on the best team
1: i think we could absolutely see someone again that happened with Jokic, a team not at the top three win mvp i, th- I think we'll absolutely yeah. see that again whether it's next year in 20 years time i don't know but I, yeah. I i think the conversation does change all the time right and you you never know what's gonna happen and and how all that stuff factors into the mvp race like this year for example i Look, Tatum and Luca, I feel like, have been locked into that four or five spot, whichever order mm-hmm. you have them, pretty much all season long. No one's going to crack that top three, I don't think. But I do think like, it is going to be interesting to see who finishes in that top five. Because what, what do you do with Shea? The guy's averaging over yeah. 30 points per game. The Thunder, I don't think, had any expectations to be in the position they are right now. I mean, we're talking about a, basically a 500 team. They have the same record as the Lakers, who, you know, kind of entered the season... <laughs> Championship aspirations might be a little a little much to put it that way, but a team that wanted to compete, be with the best and the best, and then neck and neck with them, and also they lost Chet Holmgren, by the way, a guy right. you know who everyone thought could be like a rookie of the year candidate. Uh, people are really high on his potential, even if it's you know he doesn't reach that for a few years. We saw what he was able to do with like Josh Giddy in the summer league, right, and that, how that pairing would be. So to think that, that you know that they've been doing this even without um, you know that their top pick. In the 2022 nba draft you know the not i don't think there's many players in the league who have had the impact on their teams winning as shea has had right so i I think he absolutely is in the conversation for like a top five finish i don't know who he knocks out in terms of tatum and luca that's another one where it feels like you know let's talk about this again in two weeks time and kind of see where things are because a lot could change you know if if the Maz don't even make the play in which right now they wouldn't um that probably factors into it so
0: yeah, and that's a reminder that it's a mess in Dallas and then thinking about Shea just kind of kind of calling a shot, saying, you know, we're not going to do much more losing here. And, and regardless of, you know, who was available, not available, he has kind of, I won't say he put that team on his back because he's not by himself. They have a very talented team in OKC, but they certainly have followed his lead and um, exceeding expectations. Another name who is playing for a very successful team, but they just kind of feel like they're in a different tier from those other teams in Eastern Conference. Donovan Mitchell's a guy who has kind of, has his ups and downs since, since scoring seventy one points in the game, but he scored seventy one points in a game this season, and, and it's just interesting because thinking about elsewhere, there's just been kind of it, like Devin Booker was very much in the thick of the the MVP race when we talked earlier earlier in the season. And then he had the groin injury, missed a ton of time. Phoenix has been up and down, but they just have not been healthy. But he's another guy who will probably be in the conversation uh, it, down the line for years to come. So it's just very, always interesting for me, you know. You talk about most valuable player and and the definition of actually what that means and and really just how these guys are impacting their team success and and how the standings have kind of shake shaken out based on that talking about standings shaking now we're going to take a quick break but when we come back uh, i mentioned talking about the wild wild west it is pretty crazy still this late in the season so scott and i will try to make some sense of it right after this break all right so let's talk about the western conference standings we're we're approaching the end of the season and it's just as hard to make sense of what's going on in the west as it was in the beginning of the year so i feel like this year more than any year past the standings don't necessarily reflect who's most title ready so scott when you look at the teams in the western conference who are your top five teams in terms of chances to make a run to come out of the western conference so for me the way i looked at this
1: was kind of like which teams would i be least surprised if they made it to the finals right. in the west and kind of work my way down from there so from one to five my teams are the suns at number one then the nuggets the warriors the clippers and at number five i've got the lakers oh wow <laughs> all right what about, um, what about
0: you I, 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 yeah well i'm like i'm glad to say we're we're at the top we agreed one okay. suns two nuggets three clippers Four Grizzlies, five Warriors. Um, okay. Let's talk about your inclusion of the Lakers first, because okay. I felt like that was like out of the realm of possibility. But what what inspired that?
1: Look, I don't feel great about it, but at the end of the day, I think <laughs> the, the moves that they made at the trade deadline, like this team makes a lot more sense, right? And so, I, I just think when you have that around two guys of the caliber of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I'm just not ruling it out. Look, I, I'm, I'm yeah. not expecting them. I mean, they're in playing range right now. I'm yeah. not necessarily expecting to make the finals. But I just think, I, I I feel like I can talk myself into them getting there easier than maybe like the Grizzlies, even though they've had such a good season, you know, second right. best record in the Western Conference and everything. I, we might be underplaying the fact that, you know, they haven't had Steven Adams for a couple months. We still don't know when he's going to return. And also Brandon Clark's out for the rest of the season with that Achilles injury. I mean, those are two guys who heavy in their rotation, right? Like super important to what they do on both ends of the court. So I, I don't know. I, I I feel like I can just talk myself into the Lakers a little bit easier.
0: Two things with the Lakers. I think it's just inconsistency and the huge if around the health of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. We saw LeBron just get back to the lineup after seeing the LeBron James of feet to get back uh, on the floor um, and, and the other thing just seeing sometimes they. You don't know which Lakers team is going to show up. That's why they are in the play-in range, regardless of everybody. But at the same time, that's going to be a hard team uh, to put out in a seven-game series. I think my inclusion of the Grizzlies just is giving them a little bit of respect. They got Job Rant back in the lineup, and they've won six straight. Uh, and it seems like they kind of were written off, and now they're kind of figuring things out. I do have concerns about you know Desmond Bain being the second guy in the postseason. We've talked about that before, but I certainly think that regardless – It's good to see that we can agree that the Suns and the Nuggets are are probably the teams that's most primed uh, to come out of the Western Conference.
1: I think so. And honestly, I I thought about putting the Clippers three. I think I probably would have had them at three prior to Paul George's injury. But I just think the unknown around that. We, I mean, we don't know when he's going to return. If he's going to return, I I think that's the the reason to to keep them out of the top three for me. And again, like I, I don't feel great about many of these teams to be honest. I think they they all have huge question marks. Like. The Suns, this hinges on Kevin Durant and what he looks like right. coming back from this injury. But also, yeah. like I, I think that Mavericks game that they played a few weeks ago was was really telling to me because you could see the way that teams are going to load up on their three stars and how it's going to force guys like, you know, Tory Craig's got to knock down open threes, you know, and yeah, it, it really right. could come down to that. It could come, yeah, it could come down to those guys going 0 for 5 or 3 for 5, and that could be the difference between yeah. them going to the finals or not. Um, the Nuggets, the defensive side, like that's a big question for me. The warriors, they can't win on the road this season. I don't understand it. I really don't. And you know what? Based on where they are in the standings, they're gonna have to win on the road, obviously, to yeah. make a big run. The Clippers, they've been up and down all season long. Paul George's injury, we talked about that. And then the Lakers are just, you know, a huge question mark. But I think we talked a little bit about the Grizzlies. I don't want to just not mention the Kings. They've had an incredible yeah. season. I actually think like they could go on a run in the playoffs if they get the right matchups. But I also think it's it's a lot to ask a team that Hasn't been into the playoffs for this long. And is a team that doesn't have much playoff experience to rattle off enough wins to make the finals in the first year. So that's kind of why I didn't have them in this mix. And then beyond that, like, I mean, I, I don't see the Timberwolves, uh, the Pelicans, the Thunder. The Mavs are the... the, Mavs are the I, I don't know what to make of them. I, I did not have them in this top five, I think, a month ago. I I, I probably mm-hmm. would have. Um, but yeah. you saw them the other night in person. They They're a mess right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, before we talk about the Mavs, I want to talk about a former Mavs. He's just going to talk about the Kings' lack of playoff experience and not talk about NBA champion Harrison Barnes leading these guys to <laughs> to, to, to winning some games. But honestly, with the Kings I right, my bad. I'm cons- yeah, th- apologies to Harrison. <laughs> uh, but, but honestly, I, I am very concerned about the Kings on the defensive end, um, and, and that's kind of the thing with them. I think that once it's time to slow down the playoff series and playoff games, that's going to be where— uh, things get tricky for them, but I think it's very admirable. They're going to make the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. Very well could make a run. Now, we talk about the Dallas Mavericks, and they're a mess. They are a mess, oh, man. man, and and it seems like it kind of feels like it's easy to point the finger at Kyrie. I think that while he hasn't necessarily helped the issues, these issues existed before he got there. Um, it's wild to look at this team and think that they were in the conference finals last year. They were very much outmatched in the conference finals last year, but um, you know, I was, I was uh, at the game though. They, they played in Charlotte. Uh, they played a, a home and home with the Hornets over the weekend, lost at home to a Hornets team who is now 25 and 51. One of the four teams that are eliminated from playoff contention at home. And then they come back to Charlotte two days later, understanding they can't replicate what they did in Dallas. And they replicated what they did in Dallas came out. I think the score is, Fifteen to three early on, and, and and it's just too late in the season for this team to have conversations about you know we don't we don't have the sense of urgency that we need to have. We need to turn on uh, the switch. We need to be ready to play from from the beginning of the game. You guys are in the playing range. You guys are not even in. The play in picture right now is as we record this, they are 37 and 39 and 11th in the Western Conference after getting a big win on the road over the Pacers who without guys like uh, Miles Turner and things of that nature. And it just kind of feels like there's just things are just just off with this Mavs team. And and and, I, and I'm, I'm curious what you think it is. I think a big part of it for me is just kind of a lack of, of talent. And not, not even in a disrespectful way, but they're just not as good of a team as they were last year. And their formula is very dependent on them hitting shots. And when they don't, what do they do? The
1: there was one play in that Hornet, the second Hornets loss that jumped out to me. I think it was about a minute left, a one-point mm-hmm. game, and Dennis Smith Jr. just got a backdoor alley dunk off of like a half-foot play. And you could tell, like, I think it was Reggie Bullock um and Maxie Kleber, I think, were involved on that side of the call. And it just they, yep. they kind of just looked at each other like like what happened like yep. you, were th- you were expecting a switch we didn't switch why didn't we switch like it yep. just didn't seem like a team that's on the same page and I, I think that's kind of it they don't seem quite locked in right now um look since they've got Kyrie Irving that they're 9 and 13 that's not the results mm-hmm. I think anyone expected offensively to no surprise they've been absolutely dynamite with the two of their stars on the court defensively they've just been a mess like they've been defending out one of the worst rates in the league when they're on the court. and that's the thing about last year's team like they were good defensively Right? Right. And they had, they, st- they obviously still needed more to make the, the finals because they were our match against the Warriors. But like they, they had the mix of, hey, Luka Doncic can be easily be the best player on the court anytime, any series, right? Next to him, you have a really good number two in Jalen Bronson. And then around them, we have three-point shooters and versatile defenders, right? Dorian yep. Finney-Smith is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Maxi Kleber is a great defender. He's, he's struggled with help this season. Reggie Bullock can give you stuff on the end of the floor. And, and this season they just it feels like they've leaned way more into offense and they just don't especially after this trade. Like they they are just so light defensively. And you know, there's other stuff going on like the, the Christian Wood trade. Um right. it just doesn't feel like he's found his role really all mm-hmm. season long. Um just their bigs in general, right? Like that it just doesn't feel like that's worked out for them. So it's rough, man, and they have a lot going on right now. Um because if yeah. they their, their pick this year's pick is top ten protect, uh, protected to the to mm-hmm. the Knicks. So you can make a case like they'd be better off. You can make the case that they should not make the playoffs so they can get that pick. Yeah. But on the flip side, you know, no one knows what Kyrie Irving is going to do. But if they make the playoffs, is he coming back? And if the answer to that right. is no, then then what do you do, right? Because within twelve months you're going to go from not not re-signing Jalen Brunson, trading Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, guys who crucial to your team and then losing Kyrie Irving and you've also given up draft capital during that stretch and you look up and like what is what is the future for this team now they'll have cap space but you know who they they sign in with that cap space so yeah there's a lot there's a lot going on in Dallas right now there's a lot of pressure
0: it's it's messy absolutely and I think it's interesting adding insult to injury it kind of felt like it didn't matter what the Mavs did Jalen Brunson was going to New York his dad's on the coaching staff there whatever but you say that
1: by the way like all, all reporting, like I think he said it that they could have offered him an extension, right? It, it does uh, seem yeah, like that's... maybe going into free agency was a foregone yeah. conclusion. Like the writing was right. on the wall that he was leaving. That's true. But they could, it it does seem like you know that they could have signed him to an extension earlier than that, and he would have still been on the team
0: that yeah, and that's that's a good way. and then and then when you when you when you handle business like that you're not parting ways with guys like you know dorian finney smith and and, and you have the structure of that team that allows you to do what you did and maybe can improve in, in those margins so i think that is a good point and i think that speaks to them not necessarily expecting jalen brunson to take that leap that he yep. took and did what he did in the in the postseason last year to where jk was like he's going to get paid i hope it's by us and it wasn't by them so And and adding insult to injury, that draft pick that we talked about, this top 10 protected, is going to the Knicks from the Christos Porzingis trade who also isn't on the roster anymore. So they could have lost their second best player to the Knicks and their draft pick to the Knicks and while trading some other guys to the other team in New York City. So so really interesting one more thing on the Mavs. You mentioned Maxi Cleveland. I hate to pick on Maxi Cleveland because I have no problems with Maxi Cleveland. But it reminded me a few weeks ago, um, not that long ago, they were in San Antonio. They ended up beating the Spurs, but it was just these mental lapses at the end of games. Um, I think he like threw the ball away. Uh, and instead of just trying to, you know, he fouled Kelvin Johnson and then they gave up. a a lob to tie the game and go in overtime they ultimately won but i think that when you have such a slim margin of error in this western conference um you can't do that and he definitely saved them. he he made a game winner against the lakers after so it's not all on him because he's he's helped this team as well but i think that just kind of speaks to all of these teams in the western conference especially even this late in the the season even though teams have you know seven eight games left you'll look back and there's so many teams could kick themselves Lakers on the other side of that game-winning three-pointer. They lost him on defense. They lost uh, Ryan uh, Ryan Nimhardt on defense earlier in the year. Sorry, Andrew yeah. Nimhard, his brother's Ryan. On defense yeah. earlier in the year, um, and he hits a game-winning three-pointer. So it, it, this year, more than anything, you know, obviously games are, are won and lost throughout the game, throughout the 48 minutes, but it's just interesting to see these, these teams who probably would like to have a couple of those results back um, as they go. Uh, into the postseason so we'll see how it shakes out I feel like we'll, we'll be back on here next week and still not have an idea of, of how things are going to go I really do think that this Western Conference playoff race is going to come down to the final day of the season all 30 teams are playing on April 9th so I, I'm, I'm definitely gonna, gonna be have my crazy for that one it's gonna yeah. be nuts it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna, be, gonna be nuts day. yeah uh, as we wrap up here Scott we want gonna take it take a look at our notebook anything that we might not have gotten to uh to start that you might want to mention that's going on around the league that you've noticed that you've seen
1: yeah look the bucks have been the best team well they're the best team in the nba right now mm-hmm. they have the best record yeah. they have you know a guy who's an mvp candidate drew holiday was an all-star this season Brook lopez is in the defensive player of the year conversation they're really really good um but a big thing for them over this month in particular chris middleton's had a couple big games mm-hmm. he's had a rough season with injury it feels like it really has taken him some time to find his rhythm you know he came off the bench for a while there but he had a he scored 31 points against the kings in a win um on march 13th and then start this week he had 34 points against the pistons you know neither of them are particularly good defensive teams to me that doesn't matter like the, the bucks are going to need chris middleton maybe not to be the chris middleton of old i don't know if he's going to get to that level but kind of like with the way that drew Holiday's elevated the season the way that brooke lopez has elevated the season the way that Giannis just continues to elevate maybe they don't need him to kind of reach that same tier but they, they do need him. They absolutely do need him. He's been that closer over the last few years. We saw what he did in that title run a couple of years ago. So for me, you know, Chris Middleton putting together a couple of big games this month I think is really encouraging kind of going into the postseason
0: absolutely i think i i don't like it's 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 you, know, you play who's on the floor right but i think that the the absence of chris middleton last year during the bucks playoff run that came up short i think is is very downplay you mentioned what he did in the 2021 yep. run he scored 40 in the nba finals and also when Giannis went down in the conference finals against the hawks i was there i think he had 20 points um, you know, in a third quarter of a game, he's he's that guy for them. And I think that it, it eases the offensive load on a guy like Drew Holiday, which he's played outstanding basketball this year. But I think that he's he's already guarding the other team's best perimeter threat more often than not, which takes a lot of you already. So if you can ease that offensive load on, on Drew Holiday, I think that Chris Middleton uh, is massive. So definitely we'll have an eye on that meeting between them and the Celtics later in the week, because still kind of feels like we're back on the path of the crash course to see them uh, fighting for the battle of the Eastern Conference. One question that I'm going to ask you before I get to my note. Um, we talked about the Western Conference and what was we so so jumbled in there, um, putting you on the spot, I guess. Is it safe to say that the champions coming out of the East this year? Like, how confident are you the champions coming out of the East?
1: I, I feel pretty confident just because I have less questions, I think, in particular with the Bucks, the Celtics as well. The 76ers, to me, are kind of prove-it mode. Like, yep. I, Joel Embiid's had a really rough stretch of injuries in the postseason, so I don't know how much yeah. I want to hold that against him. But they're going to need yeah. James Harden to be – the James Harden he has been this season in the postseason, so I think they have a little bit more to prove. I just think in going back to our kind of talk about the Western Conference teams, every team that I think could make the finals has a huge question mark that yeah. I just don't feel that way, at least kind of with the top teams in the East. So I, I, I think right now it's pretty safe based on where everything is uh right now to say that probably the team is the team that's gonna win is gonna come out of the east In saying that they're gonna have to beat each other on going <laughs> there right and that's yeah that could take a lot out of them so who knows but yeah
0: yeah it's gonna be a collision course for those eastern conference teams i think that they have the fewest questions i think the west have the most teams that kind of have like that boomer bus potential where like you have like a, a KD and kate and book and cp all kind of click and then they are just impossible they become like kind of a bus so all they go through the Western Conference. So it'll be interesting to see, regardless of how it goes. Um, From my notebook, I definitely want to uh, send condolences and and say rest in peace to New York Knicks captain, Willis Reed, passed away early last week at the age of 80. Um, Just really a a legend in the game. Uh, I had the pleasure uh, to to get to know him and his family while he worked with the New Orleans Hornets for a few years in the front office. He and my dad forged a a great relationship, and he often imparted wisdom that I kind of used during my playing career, that didn't go that long. But one thing he always said that he said that stuck with me was, you know, if you're, you, he never was nervous going into a game when they're down one or two to hit the game tying shot or the game winning shot because the game was already lost. So whether or not you missed a shot, it's not your fault that the game was lost. It was already lost. All you can do is go win the game for your team. Um, so thinking about him and just that mentality that he had, you know, as a basketball player and his career was cut short by injury and, and still um, two-time Finals MVP. Two-time NBA champion, league MVP, Rookie of the Year—the uh, accolades are, are are so many to listen. list. And he also did it out at Grambling State University, so one of the uh, best players to come out of an HBCU. So Willis Reed, a, a major pioneer uh, for the game, a, a huge loss for the game, but somebody who uh, his legacy will live on forever. His number nineteen hangs in Madison Square Garden, and the Knicks are are having a great year, so they can they can go out there and play in his honor uh, for the remainder of the season.
1: Yep. His resume speaks for himself, an all-time great, and also had one of the most iconic moments in NBA history, right? That Game 7 yeah, in the NBA Finals, him coming out of the tunnel after that injury. I think that's just, that's that's one thing, no matter where you are, how old you are, um, in mm-hmm. 50 years' time, like we are still going to be talking about that. That's always going to be right. written about, that's always going to be referenced, just an all all-time iconic moment.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say the big thing, like it regards it transcends sport. If somebody comes back yeah. from injury to, to play, they say he's pulling a Willis Reed. So yeah. you know, I think that's the biggest thing you talk about, legacy, and and that is certainly how his is defined and how he should be remembered as a guy who puts the team first, won a championship, led the team. Um, and, and is is, you know, one of the most revered members of of one of the most historic, iconic franchises in all of professional sports, not just the NBA. So again, condolences to his family. Uh Willis Reed will be missed. Uh, 80 strong long years on this earth and and an indelible impact on the game of basketball. That's it for this week of NBA sound system. Always. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe and get these every time a new episode drops. We'll be back next week to talk more as the season comes to a close, and hopefully uh things will be a little bit clearer. But, you know, again, Scott shaking his head like it it we did at be. the beginning. It won't be. It clear. won't be. It won't, it won't be clear, <laughs> but we'll be here to try and make sense of it all. For Scott Rafferty, my name is Gil McGregor. We'll catch you here same time next week.